Hey church, this is uh, Pastor Daniel coming to you with our our second ever fireside chat. Um, if you're not familiar with the concept of fireside chat, I think that's uh, an episode or a little preview in our Spotify playlist. You can go subscribe to that podcast if you aren't already. I think it's the first one kind of talks about what we want to do. But again, these are almost always going to be cultural talks, talks about the culture of the church, um, talks about what it is we're trying to do from a, an application standpoint or a tone standpoint uh, inside the body at Resurrection Church. And so uh, it's our hope that through the course of these fireside chats, we really get to share our heart with you about what the Lord's doing and where the Lord's leading us. And in a lot of those areas, I think it's um, very logical, sort of uh, application-oriented stories of things um, that, that God's doing. So today, I, I really want to talk about this idea of church membership, um, which is largely a little bit newer of a, of a term, at least, church membership. And I, and I want to talk about church authority as well, uh, both these terms. And uh, I don't know about you, but you've probably, if you've been at church any, any amount of time, gone through a church membership class or, or quote-unquote, joined a church via, like, their membership program. Uh, I've joined at least a couple of churches via, you know, whatever membership uh, class and or process they had. And uh, it's, it's qu- kind of interesting because a lot of the language around this idea of church membership in a lot of churches in America uh, is very similar to secular organizations that we have in our culture and our society. And so even the term membership itself is, is a term you most often hear outside the church world. You know, you, you're a member of a gym, you're a member of a book club or a political party, you're a member of a country club, or so you can go play golf there. You know, you have a Costco membership or an Amazon Prime account. And um, this idea of church membership, I think, has a has this sort of stigma, uh, this feeling to it that we can all kind of relate to if we've been in church for any given amount of time, or we've maybe seen church members in other churches, we've observed this. And I think there are two or three very um, American concepts that are wrapped into the idea of church membership. And when I say American, what I think I'm saying is uh, kind of capitalistic, kind of a, a capitalism impact on church and, and what we would call ecclesiology, which is your sort of doctrine or theology around the church. And so the first one is this, uh, the idea of church membership sounds very transactional, like a transactional relationship. And um, the, the thing that's interesting about that is the Bible really doesn't talk about the church ever in terms of a transactional relationship. Now, a transactional relationship is something, as Americans, we're very familiar with because it's the ch- exchange of goods and services for goods and services or for currency. You know, So I, I pay money at the checkout for some groceries. That's a transactional relationship. So my relationship with vendors and merchants and clubs and associations it is all transactional. I put in a certain amount of things that have value and I get back a certain amount of things that have value. Uh, and if at any point that value doesn't match, I stop doing business there and go somewhere else. And uh, the idea of church membership oftentimes comes with this stigma of, 
it being a transactional relationship that I put in a certain number of things and therefore I receive back a certain number of things from the church that I'm joining. Uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about how the Bible describes the church, and it is not in transactional terms at all, almost ever. Uh, almost all of the way that the church is described in the Bible is as a body, a family, a flock, um, some various things, but it's never transactional. And, and, and one of the only times that we really see things that are transactional in nature around uh, the church when Jesus is doing his ministry uh, have very negative connotations. I mean, when he turns over the money lenders in the temple, when he addresses the Pharisees and how they're kind of lording their authority over people um, in, in this transactional manner, uh, it's bad. I mean, it's very bad. And so I think, I hope that if you're listening to this, you're part of our church, you also feel like talking about the church in a transactional way is something that's negative. Like, like we should all feel like that's kind of extra biblical. It's out. It's just really outside the, in fact, it's not even, it's, it's anti-biblical. I mean, it's because it's the opposite of the way the Bible would describe the church. Um, the second really American idea around this idea of church membership, you could just you could just track this to our American roots, uh, is this idea that it is a vol oh, it, the, the, being part of a church is a voluntary thing. It's just the voluntary nature of joining. Like, I'll decide when I want to join a church. And I'll decide when I want to leave a church. And, and that's all tied to sort of my individual rights and my right to choose. And we love individual rights as Americans. I mean, our, our country is founded off the Bill of Rights and these constitutional protections and, and these amendments, you know, that, that are there to protect our individual rights. And so uh, that voluntary nature where I put all of the responsibility and authority of being in a church or leaving a church or going to a new church on myself as an individual, or or maybe my myself and my spouse, for instance, uh, that's that's very American, and we're going to see some of that here in Scripture as well. And just and I'll just kind of compare it to how the Bible talks about the church, and we're not going to hear a lot of, of these sort of what I think are very American rooted concepts. And the third is this: so we have this transactional relationship that is just kind of tied to the idea of joining a church, you know, church membership. We have this voluntary nature of joining. Um, like I choose when and how, and then the third is, and this is I think very American too, is it, it's an add-on. Um, the church is sort of this add-on, meaning that if I were to look at sort of the way um, in America we view church, I would say from an identity perspective, many of us think we're, we're Christian first, and then we're, we're sort of American second, and then our specific church third, right? So that tends to be maybe the the third thing down on the list. And so, so Christian first, American second, you know, resurrection church third, um, in order of priority. And I and I I'm push back on that too because I don't know that that's accurate and and right in terms of what we'll see biblically. So let me talk about some ways that the Bible describes the church. That might be more interesting, right? How does how does the Bible describe the church? Um, so in the Bible, intrinsically, there is this sort of instantaneous order that happens um, with salvation being first and then uh, baptism. So, so what happens, and you can turn to Acts 2 and read the story of Pentecost here, there's this 
idea that like you hear the gospel at some point when you hear the gospel you believe and when you put belief in jesus christ being lord not just that he existed not just that he's real but that he's right uh then there's repentance it's like immediate right to to know jesus is lord is to also know that i have a problem and i need him and uh, so, so belief and repentance is tied together. And then what we see following that, like immediately following that in the Bible, is almost always baptism. Uh, sometimes it's just not recorded, but, but we almost always see that. So, so there's belief in the gospel, repentance, and baptism, and then immediately light, doing life together. So, so the church, the, the body of believers, does life together almost instantaneously, um, using their gifts, caring for one another, empathizing for one another, sharing their resources. Uh, and that's what we see when we turn to Pentecost in Acts 2, and then we track that over the course of the next three, four, five chapters, is, you know, when, when the 3,000 men come to Christ immediately, they immediately start doing life together, both in the corporate sense as they met in larger halls, and in the smaller sense as they would break up and do communion together in and eat together in houses. And so there's no separation in these stories between... Uh, belief, repentance, baptism, doing life together, aka the church. They're all linear and they're in, they're related and they're and they're almost immediate. I mean, then one follows the other, doom, 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 right down the the way. And so there's never even an idea of choice involved in the church. It's just immediate. It's just, of course, right? I'm gonna do life with other believers. Um the way the Bible talks about the church in Ephesians 5 is as the bride of Christ, and we see that in Revelation 2, but as the bride of Christ, right, that, that, that Jesus, that we are to love, men are to love their wives like Jesus loves the church. And so there's this interesting analogy, right, not a transactional, not a, not a country club, not a thing you join, but it's the very bride of Christ, like when we talk about what we would treasure. Uh, in, in Hebrews uh, 2, 11, in John 1, uh, 12 and 13, in Ephesians 1, uh, this idea that we're adopted into God's family, making us brothers and sisters with one another. And so there's another illustration. Illustrations can be really helpful in the Bible to help us uh, give, you know, give context around what it is that's trying to be communicated. So we've, we've seen it called the, bride, the church called the bride of Christ. We've also get this idea that the church is a family, Right? Because I'm not brothers and sisters with other Christians if, if it's not a family. I'm not adopted into God's family and now siblings with other believers uh, in, a, in a gym, in a, in a business, in, a, in an organization. Now, this is, this is a family. And, and the, all, all of the stuff we'll read, I was mentioning Acts you know, 2, 3, 4, 5, all, all of the way we read Acts, it seems very much like a family, right? Doing life together, living together, caring for one another, sharing together hurting for one another, um, almost immediate. So so we see a bride, Christ's bride, as one of the analogies or illustrations. We see family as one of the illustrations. And we see embassy used, uh, or ambassadors, right? Uh, like an embassy in a foreign country. And so we're called, at various times in Scripture, we're called um, foreigners, you know, in a foreign land, that we're travelers, that we're, that we're, we're migrants almost, right? That we're not really residents here in this world anymore because we're part of Christ's kingdom, or we're ambassadors for Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20 would call us ambassadors for Jesus Christ, right? God basically making his appeal of the gospel to people through our ambassadorship. We now, members and citizens of 
the, the, the uh, kingdom to come, God's kingdom to come, or heaven, are just visiting. We're sojourners is, uh, here on earth. And so uh, we see this uh, verse, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And we see that in Ephesians 6.20 as well, that I just want to compare these analogies, right, to the way we think about this transactional nature of church oftentimes here in America, but it's Christ's bride, so we should treasure it uh, like, like Jesus would treasure it, right? We don't, we don't get to, to throw church, throw mud all over the church, because we wouldn't do that to Christ's bride. We don't get to disrespect the church, because we didn't, wouldn't do that to Christ's bride. Um, and, and, and we don't get to not love the church, because Jesus loved the church. It, it's a family, so we're not just in our own church, but even with other churches, we are now joined together as part of the body of Christ, as uh, sisters, brothers of one another, because we've been adopted into this family. And we're no longer residents of the country that we live in. We're residents of a different kingdom to come. And therefore, our whole life here on earth is as an ambassador, uh, as a sojourner, as a um, representative of this other country, this kingdom. And, and our churches are embassies in foreign land. Now, I think that's vastly different than describing the church as this sort of transactional organization that, you know, we want to look at its efficiency and we want to look at it, whether or not it offers the services that we like, and we want to, you know, pick and choose where we go, like it's a buffet plate, because the Bible's language is just so different from that. And if we kind of follow this thinking that the church is meant to be more of this, this tight-knit family, knowing that we're all together in this foreign land as ambassadors, so we're not at home anymore because our home is heaven, um, and, and we're foreigners in a foreign land with a mission. You know, we talked in the last episode about being soldiers for Christ, and this time we're kind of talking about being ambassadors for Christ. Um, and and, and it, th this relationship and even this, this structure of the body of Christ should be treasured like Christ treasures it. So that's at odds with what I described in the beginning, which I think is the stigma of American church and even the idea of church membership or joining a church or having a class or an optional process to join a church. Um, in fact, if we follow the church's line of, or the Bible's line of thinking about the church, think about then what are pastors, shepherds, um, elders in the church? You know, they're, they're called all three synonymously at different points in scripture, pastors, shepherds, and elders. Um, we're, we're not employees of an organization there to serve the consumers at the country club, at the Costco, at the gym. Um, we're brothers, and we're your brother, right? So every pastor at Res, every pastor at any other church is a brother or sister in Christ, and the fact that they hold an office in the church makes them much like an older brother that dad has put in charge while he's gone. And we see some some illustrations like that a little bit here and there in scripture, right? The master leaves and puts different servants in charge of different things. Um, and that's really what pastors and elders are. We're older brothers filling a specific role 
with authority granted by the father. We're not the dad, but we're also not an employee there to um, deal with consumers. So Hebrews 13, 17 would say, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So uh, this, this idea that when you're part of the body of Christ, when you're part of a specific church, well, the only thing that really truly differentiates um, one church from another, and I don't mean like the, I, I don't mean like the differences between the church, but like, you know, if you go to church A instead of church B, and, and you're still brothers and sisters in Christ with everyone that's at church B, even though you're at church A. So what's, what's the difference? What's unique about being at church A? Well, when you're at a specific local church, you are voluntarily putting yourself under the authority of the pastors, shepherds, elders, leaders of that church. So you're saying at that church, um, I know that it is the biblical call to submit in the local body. Like, I know that, right? We go back to Acts 2, belief, repentance, baptism, doing life together. I know I'm supposed to be part of the body of Christ. God set up the body of Christ to have pastors, shepherds, elders as kind of like this older brother left in charge while I'm gone um, authority. And then he said, I've granted that authority to these individuals. Now, they're still brothers in Christ. So, I mean, they're not some different type of entity in the family. They're just an older brother that's been granted authority by the Father. And when you join a local church, what you're doing is saying, I voluntarily put myself under the authority, the umbrella of God's authority handed down to these pastor shepherds, elders, because they, here's, here's, the, here's the tough thing, they someday have to stand in front of Jesus and answer him for how well they protected you, how they led you, how they, how they trained you, how they corrected you, how they chased you down when you were in rebellion, right? All, all the things that pastors and elders are called to, someday they have to stand in front. I'm going to stand in front of Jesus someday, and he's going to say, how well did you lead my sheep? How well did you love them? How well did you cry for them? How well did you correct them? How well did you teach them? How well did you serve them? And and that is that we we know that's part of the responsibility, like the 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 list of responsibilities for pastors and elders, and the the weight and burden of being one of those brothers that got left in charge while dad was gone, like is real. And um, for as much as we've uh, used like the soldier analogy for those of us that you know we talk about being uh, gentle or genuine gentle generous soldiers for Jesus Christ, uh, which is a great, a great illustration, but like your pastors and elders are not generals, really. Um, they're older brothers. You know, they're, they're your brother and sister. They got, I don't want to say they got stuck with the responsibility. That's not the right word. They got called into the responsibility uh, to do that, to, to lead, protect, teach, and then ultimately to answer for the ambassadors left at this embassy. And um, it's, it's quite interesting, right, that Sometimes we'll look at other churches. I'll look at other pastors and other churches when that church is just acting a fool and that pastor's pulling his hair out. And I, I hurt for them. I know 
that they got called to steward and protect that flock and that flock is driving them down. I mean, you've all known a family where like the eldest kid is, you know, 16, 17, 18, whatever gets left at home with five, six, seven siblings. And they're supposed to like make sure everything's going well before mom and dad get back. And the kids are just going crazy. Right. And the, the teen who's supposed to be in charge is just pulling their hair out. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I see that happen in churches and I see pastors that are just like, I don't know how to, to effectively do this. You sometimes feel so powerless to actually care for the flock appropriately. And you know that dad's coming home at some point and you got to answer for it. Like, I get it. It, it is tough. It is, it's a tough road. Um, when you put yourself under the, the authority and submission of a set of elders, which is really what joining a church is, right? We could call it church membership. We could call it church ownership. We could call it anything else. When we put ourselves under the authority of a local church and of their elders and teachers and pastors, what we're really saying is this, right? Go back to Acts 2, 3, 4, 5. What we're really saying is this. I want to know and I want to be known intimately in this local body, like with these believers, right? That means in order to, to do that in a local body, I must then submit to the authority of a group of elders. So I got to submit to that teaching, that encouragement, that correction, and that sending. And, and guys, we, we, we hate the word submit. We just hate it right? We're American. Like submit is the last thing we ever want to do. We don't want to submit to anything. We, we want to hold our voluntary rights and, and our individual rights. But, but I just want you to think about like how, how weird the idea is of like voluntarily, like I'll decide when I want to go move to this other church. And like, you just, you just never see that kind of church movement in the Bible at all, ever, right? Um, we think about the churches so differently than they did in the Bible. Now, some of that's just that we're not under persecution. You know, if we had heavy religious persecution, like real heavy, you know, talk to um, some of the team that has come back from the foreign mission field. Um, right now, we just had a team that came back from Lebanon. Um, but any of these teams that come back from countries where the, the gospel is being persecuted, Christians are being persecuted, will tell you that unity there is not nearly the problem that unity here is, right? When you're under persecution, you will band together pretty quick. Uh, but if we, my follow-up point is just this, if we thought about the church, the way that they talk about it in the Bible, the way that they clearly think about it in the Bible, uh, what would look different here? What, what would look different at Resurrection Church if we thought about the church the way they, they talk about it and think about it in the Bible? Well, uh, here's the first thing that would look different. We would have 100% serving rate. Like there would be no one in our church that was not serving using the spiritual gifts for the building up and edification of the body. It, it wouldn't exist uh, because everyone in the, the first century, if they were medically able was using their gift to help someone else. And we see stories of like just impoverished people helping. I mean, we, everyone joined in. We, you had this realization that God had bestowed a spiritual gift on you specifically for the blessings of others, and how dare you not use it. Um, number two, we'd have 100% giving rate, right? Like, like everyone would be tithing and giving and honoring God. Um, the stories of radical generosity in the Bible when it comes to the church are phenomenal. Like the story of them giving in like Thessalonica out of their poverty because they knew that there was a famine and persecution going on in Jerusalem. And they're giving to people of other races, other backgrounds, people they would have looked down on previously. And they're poor and yet they're still giving generously. Um, so if we thought about 
and felt about the church the way they talk about it in the Bible, we would not constantly be going, hey guys, uh, you really should be serving, you should really be exercising that spiritual gift. We would have to tell you that, right? Because you would be so excited to have an opportunity to, you look at how excited someone like Stephen was to essentially distribute food, you know, ladle some soup in the soup line, and, and just the ability to get to use his gifts to build up the body was seen as such a privilege. Um, 100% serving rate, 100% giving rate, like everyone would be involved in those spiritual uh, disciplines and in, in those, those activities. Um, here's another thing that would change if we saw the church the way they did in the Bible. You and I, under, under normal circumstances, you and I would not make any major decision in our life without consulting the body and, and the elders. So, so um, I'll just give you an application from my own life. I've had a bundle of friends, the close friends that were in my community groups, that were um, guys that were part of like accountability partners with me, uh, close Christian brothers who up and decided to move their family out of state somewhere. And in almost every instance, not every instance, but in almost every instance, they not one time went to the church leaders or to me, who was maybe one of their closest accountability partners, or to any of their other accountability partners and said, man, I think God's calling me to do this. Will you pray with me about it? Can you can you help me seek the Lord and what he wants me to do in this area? Instead, they arbitra- almost arbitrarily, at least that's what it looks like externally, made the decision they wanted to move, maybe with their spouse or whatnot, and then informed everybody about that decision. Now, again, that that's a very American thing, right? We're individuals, we make our own decisions. But go look at the way all of these things are handled in the New Testament, and what you're going to see is, of course, I would be talking to my community group. Of course, I'd be talking to the close Christian fellowship, my brothers and sisters who are holding me accountable and encouraging me. Of course, I would go to an elder or elders in my church who I've put myself under their spiritual authority and their guidance. Why in the world would I not then pull on that guidance when it came to major life decisions? I wouldn't make major life decisions for anything without talking to those folks and going, man, here's where I think the Lord's leading me. What do you think? Will you pray with me about it? Will you help me discern this? Um, you, you, to, to do that autonomously and then inform the church is to devalue the spiritual wisdom that God says he's bestowed upon the people that he put in charge to help you. Um, and we, yet, we most of us treat it that way. If I'm honest, I, I treat it that way. I've treated it that way for most of my life, and most of you probably have too, and most of my friends have too. I mean, we sort of in a bubble make our decisions that are best for us and inform the church about it. But that's not, that's not biblical at all. Um, under normal circumstances, I'm not talking about emergencies and one-offs and such, right? I'm just a general theme here. Um, you know, I mentioned our identity earlier that one of the very American things about the way we do church membership and stuff here is that it's, it, it changes kind of how we identify ourselves, that we, we kind of would identify, many of us would identify ourselves as Christian first, then American second, then like church member, maybe third or fourth down the list somewhere. Um, but, you know, I think if we looked at the way the, the Bible talks about and, and thinks about the church, uh, that would shift. We would see ourselves as Christian first, and then, you know, husband, wife, parent, what have you, uh, second, and then church member third, and then citizen of a country would be fourth or fifth down the, down the, down the line, because the Bible talks about us being sojourners, visitors, ambassadors here, and so really one of the markers for us would be our our church, um, not just our Christian identity, not just our 
uh, husband or wife identity, but our, our church identity would, would actually, all of those things would be a higher priority and a higher identifier of our life than American or, or Mexican or African or what have you, um, because they would be shaping what's going on now more than anything else. Um, and, and we see that. In, in, and I'm bringing that up because we see that in the New Testament. They're, they're called Christian. They're called followers of the way. Um, oftentimes, when they're even addressed by any sort of nationality, it's based on the church that they're attending. You know, they're at the church of Ephesus. We don't talk about their actual background, if they were a Samaritan or not. You know, we just, we just talk about the fact that they were part of this church, and that's how they're identified. We sometimes don't even get their background or their nationality. Um, so I think we would do that, too. I think it would be actually very healthy for us um, to, to have a better perspective, a better kingdom perspective of the church. Um, I think another thing that would shift is um, our elders would get very, very busy laying on hands and praying for the sick. And, and, and I think what you see when we look at the way the church was viewed in the New Testament, and, and some of this is shaped by James uh, chapter 5, it, you know, it basically, anytime someone was sick, there was a known, like, you go to the elders to be prayed for. That I mean, it was just, it's in, in, not just in James 5, but when we see the sick constantly coming to the elders to be prayed for, as in we know we're, we're supposed to do this, um, this is where we go. And uh, I, I, we've moved away from that. And, I, and if anything, I think that's more of the elders, like, I, I feel like that's my fault, the elders' fault more than anybody. Like, we're we're really motivated to... Uh, work on how much time we spend on business versus how much time we get to spend on prayer, uh, because we just feel like we have a, a we're shortchanging getting to pray uh, for the church and then for individuals specifically they're going through things and so we do some of that privately but we we actually together as an elder group are, we have an initiative to, to spend a great deal more time together in our prayer for those that are hurting and then for the church uh, as a whole and so that's a it's a big initiative for us to shift our perspective from being more like business managers uh, to being more prayer warriors um, I think another thing that would change if we had more of a this New Testament perspective of the church is we would stop playing the comparison game with other churches. We all know that in in the family that if if I'm constantly trying to figure out the the health of my family by looking at some other family and playing the comparison game that that's a dangerous game to play, right? That it doesn't really work. And it's really dangerous because I'm not trying to be that other family number one, but also like I don't it's not like if you're in a family of, I don't know, there's five kids, right? And, and you're like, well, you know, two doors down, they have a pool. So I'm going to go join that family because, man, I really love swimming. Like, that's not a thing when you're part of a family. You're not jumping house to house around the neighborhood and being like, well, now I'm a I'm, now I live here. You know, this is my new mom and dad and this is my new siblings because I like that they run the air conditioning more or they play the type of music I want. Like we would just stop with a comparison game of looking around to see what services we thought were the best fit. Instead, our, our choice of church would be very spirit-led, right? Like, very spirit-led. Uh, what church should I go to? The one that God wants me in. What church should I go to? Well, I mean, clearly we know that there's some righteous mandates of preaching the Word of God, but where does God want me to be? There's a call into this family, and then once I'm in that family, I'm not leaving that family because I played the comparison game and I didn't like something. Like that's, This was wild, right? It's such a wildly American thing to do that you just get outside the, the boundaries of sort of North America or, or the Western Christianity, and you're just not going to see much of that at all. Um, and it's 
let me be real clear. It's toxic, right? It's toxic. It devalues the bride of Christ. It devalues the work of elders and pastors. It devalues the the the, the need for the body to be edifying and encouraging. Um, when this becomes more about about services or ministry or preference or any any of those things other than encouragement, edification, accountability, empathy, um, we've just mixed up all of our priorities when it comes to what the church is actually doing, and we're back in that transactional thing again. Um, a uh, seventh thing, I got a list, right? I'm just counting down here. A <laughs> uh, seventh thing we'd do if we had a, pers- a New Testament perspective of the church. Um, you'd only leave a church after heavy prayer with your closest accountability and the church would send you. Because that's, that's actually how people left church in the New Testament. They were sent somewhere. The, the church would recognize a call for somebody, whether it came from the person or it came from somewhere in the body. They would realize the Spirit was really moving, and they would gather together in prayer, seeking the Lord. And as it became determined that, that person needed to go, then the whole church would send them off. And we've had some really encouraging opportunities to send people off uh, in the church as God called them somewhere. And that's going to happen. It's going to happen again. It's not. We're not done having people that God sends from our body other places. That that's how the church multiplies. It's not a negative thing. What is negative is when we don't follow the biblical formula for it. When instead of being sent somewhere, we we get real choosy, right? And we we're jumping family to family. Like it's weird. Um, in reality, one of the things that's encouraging and edifying. Um, and affirming to the value of the church is when we treat it like the family the Bible calls it, and when we um, treat joining into a church like the call of the Holy Spirit, which is what called us out of dead life and into faith in the beginning. Um, It was synonymous. So I think you'd see a lot less of the church hopping, and I think you'd see a lot more sending, and that would be very encouraging, I think, for everyone involved in that process. Another thing that would occur in churches like this is most of the needs in the church would be met before the church leadership ever even heard about them. If you look at the way the radical generosity that begins to spread around the New Testament church, there are a lot of times that smaller needs never even come up because, man, a believer, a brother or sister in Christ recognizes them and meets them prayerfully and generously with grace, and like you almost never hear about it until after the fact when you get to celebrate it. Um, and that would continue to do. And, and look, some of that is already occurring in our church at Res, and we love it, and it's it's amazing. Um, and the more, the better, right? Because it, it transforms and changes us as we serve other people. Um, and then, you know, it, it would change, if we had this right view, it would change really even our, our language with other believers in other churches. We'd see them as brother and sister in Christ. And we also probably <clears throat> stop worrying about you know, trying to recruit them to our church or um, telling them they were doing church wrong or anything else, because they would just be a brother or sister in Christ who has is part of a local body somewhere, has put themselves under the authority of those elders and those pastors at that church, and that's a wonderful thing, and it's worthy of honor. It's worthy of affirming uh, the value of the church. Now, here's what I'm not talking about when I say these things, right? So I hope you didn't hear any of this. Um, I'm not telling you that your leaders are always right. Oh my gosh, I'm not telling you that. Like, uh, in fact, I go back to my analogy of like kind of o- older brothers that dad left in charge who are trying to wrangle in all the crazy kids in the house, right? The older brothers are not always right. We're not always right. If, if anything, pastors, elders, and leaders in your church are broken, hurting, grace-needing leaders who are leading 
broken, hurting, grace-needing congregants. And so we're, we're all uh, broken. We're all um, coming to terms with how much we need Jesus. I heard someone say today, uh, a spiritually maturing Christian is not someone who needs le Jesus less. The more you mature in Christ, the more you realize you need him more. And so uh, leaders, in order to be really genuine as leaders, um, we really have to let you see how messed up we are. Right, and so for you to see me grow, or Elder Don grow, or Pastor Mark grow, or any of us, uh, Elder Sternly, any of us grow, you're you're first going to have to see how we've made mistakes and where we've messed up and how we didn't get it right, or or you'd never actually see any growth, right? If we were never wrong in the first place, then what's there to grow? I'm already perfect. I'm already here. Um, so I'm not telling you leaders are always right. They're not. They're messy people just like you and me. Uh, and I'm not telling you that leaders don't need your input. Leaders desperately need an inspired congregation. Uh, who's telling them, hey, here's where I see the Lord doing, and here's where the Lord's stirring something in me, and here's where I see the Lord at work. Man, your eyes and ears, uh, as you interact with people both in the broken world and inside the confines of the church, are incredibly important, incredibly important. Um, now, we're not talking about church polity. We'll probably have a whole other podcast at some point on church polity and congregational voting and all sorts of fun stuff like that. It actually is kind of interesting, but uh, not today. Um, I'm not telling you that church should wear you out. I, I want you to hear that, right? Church should not be burning you out. Um, one of the constant conversations that we have in our leadership meetings is, are we programming too much? Um, there's two extremes in our uh, church, in, in, in any church, but in, in our church, I think of two extremes. Uh, on one extreme, I think of the retired uh, widow or widower who uh, doesn't work anymore. Uh, doesn't have a spouse, uh, maybe family has moved away, and they have the only community or very little community um, that they do have is within the, the church. And so for them, anytime the church doors are open for just about anything is a positive thing, right? Because they, they, they need relationship, they need community, they need people around them, uh, and they have nothing but time. Now, the other extreme is um, a mom of multiple kids, a dad of multiple kids uh, at that age where they're just super needy, you know, that, that infant, the two-year-old, the four-year-old, especially the kids before they get into the school system and actually mom and dad get a little breath uh, and can breathe, but, but but multiple kids. So you got some in diapers, you got some that aren't even in school yet, you got some in school with homework and activities and um, trying to uh, juggle the full-time job 40 hours a week or more, maybe travel involved, right? I want you to think about that family as the opposite end of the spectrum who just, man, every time you, you ask for their time, you're asking for something they have very little love to give. So how many things are you putting on the calendar? How many things are you telling them are important? How many things are you telling them that, oh, you just got to be at this, man, because th this is the thing for the church? Those are the two tensions that we're managing when we we program, when we plan. We're, we're trying to figure out the, the balance of caring for a diverse group of people, multi-generational, different stages of life. Uh, but church should not wear you out. Church should not burn you out. Um, one of the reasons for burnout is over-programming. One of the reasons for burnout is not enough people volunteering. Uh, we're working on both those things. Um, if you're if you're getting tired, we want to talk to you. We want to talk about healthy pace and healthy rest. And um, what we're not talking about is that church should ever be part of your identity before being a Christian. You're a Christian before you're, you're part of a church. I mean, you know, the, the church is not more of an uh, identity marker than being a believer. And it's not more of an identity marker than your family. 
your family comes before the church. Your, uh, if you're a parent, your job to steward your challenge and, and, and call to steward your family is, is one of the preeminent things in your life. Um, so why this fireside chat? Why talking uh, about you know church membership and church authority? Um, because culturally, we want to get as close as we can to church as it looked in the Bible. I mean, that, that's our goal, right, as, as the culture of the church. So when we talk about tone, we talk about um, what, what we want to see as, as normal as part of the Christian life inside Resurrection Church. Uh, we're talking about trying to have a perspective, all of us, as a sort of critical mass of our church, as this perspective of church and it's the same perspective, right? That we're looking at it the way the Bible looks at it. We're talking about it the way the Bible talks about it. Uh, it's an ongoing goal. It's going to take time. It's going to take lots of conversations. That's what these are for. At some point here, we're going to have a, a church polity uh, podcast. We just kind of talk about the governance of the church and um, what some of the different models are and why we've chosen what we have and you know what potentially will change down the road. Uh, but hey, I appreciate you giving me some time to just just think about the church. Think about how uh, valued the church is not just as a beacon of light in a dark world, but as Christ's bride. Um, getting to think about the church as our family, and uh, getting to think about uh, even our leaders as just uh, older brothers who are doing their best to follow God and answer Dad at some day. You know, someday when He comes back for how well that they they did. Uh, appreciate that. Can't wait to see you guys again on Sunday. Thanks so much.